Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 3 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. As many of you know, at the end of May we launched our new book, They Walk Among Us, and Rosanna and I would like to thank you all for the amazing response we've received. If you want to purchase a copy, you can find a link in the show notes. Listener caution is advised, as this episode contains adult themes and descriptions that some listeners may find distressing. In the 1980s, cases of consumer terrorism had reached a peak. You may have heard about the Tylenol murders in America. Seven people lost their lives when they consumed tablets from bottles purchased in chemists and supermarkets. They had no way of knowing the pills they swallowed were randomly laced with potassium cyanide. A few years later, the United Kingdom had its own scare when lethal contaminants were hidden in everyday products. A typed extortion letter was sent to Managing Director Leslie Simmons at the head office of Pedigree Pet Foods in Milton Mowbray, Leicestershire, on August 3rd, 1988. Packaged with a tin of Pedigree Chum dog food, The extortion letter read, Mr Simmons, this is a demand to Pedigree Pet Foods to pay £100,000 a year for five years to prevent its products being contaminated by toxic substances. The accompanying tin of Pedigree Chum has had the contents mixed with biocides. These chemicals were selected because they are colourless, odourless and highly toxic. If payment is not forthcoming from Pedigree Pet Foods or Mars Limited, a large number of similarly contaminated tins will appear on retailers' shelves throughout Great Britain initially. If the payment is not made, the threat will be carried out progressively. Initially, only Pedigree Chum dog food will be poisoned. When sales of the product have slumped, another will be sabotaged. If payment has not been received, the process will be repeated until payment is finally made or your company is dissolved. 
Its fate will then be an example to other pet food suppliers, e.g. Spillers, who were then another dog food manufacturer. It was requested the ransom be paid into four building society accounts which it was stressed had been opened fraudulently long before using fake names and addresses. Managing Director Leslie Simmons was instructed to place an advert in the personal section of the Daily Telegraph newspaper to let the extortioner know that he had received and understood the terms of the letter. It was to read, Sandra, happy birthday, darling. Love, John. Simmons informed the Leicestershire police, and well aware of the public scrutiny the blackmail would put his company under, it was decided he would meet secretly with detectives in a pub car park. Less than 24 hours later, he went to London to converse with Scotland Yard's Detective Chief Superintendent Pat Fleming. To gather more clues, Fleming wanted to speak over the phone with the extortioner, so recommended that the message be placed in the Daily Telegraph, but along with the line... Want to help? Must talk. Phone 0664-500-65. Radio silence. Had the extortioner changed their mind now the police were involved? Five weeks ticked by before Leslie Simmons opened a three-page letter that had been typed on a printer. The writer implied that more than one person was holding Pedigree Pet Foods ransom. They voiced their disdain at the altered ending in the newspaper advert. We have seen your pathetic attempts to deceive us in the Daily Telegraph. When are you going to realise that we are not stupid? Your ads do not provoke us into any contact we would not have made anyway. And don't assume that because you have not heard from us for a while... We have ceased with our action. We are busy in preparation for the full implementation of our threat. It went on to say that the extortioners would be carrying out their plan in the next few days and that national news coverage would pick up on the contaminations two days thereafter. Another section read, If there is any suggestion that quality or quantity of the substances injected are not particularly noxious, we have access to potassium cyanide and will not hesitate to use it. We have avoided it so far for our own safety. The author of the letter detailed some of the toxins they planned on including mould remover and wood preservatives. They indicated they would change to a more topical poison to keep interest alive in the press, therefore damaging pedigree sales and reputation even further. A paragraph explained how the extortionist managed to open bank accounts using bogus details. You may be interested to know we have opened up other bank accounts in other names in readiness for use in our next venture. We thank you for financing this project for which we are all now prepared. We have used cheap rented accommodation which we obtained without references and opened these new accounts through the post. Your company's demise should prove a powerful influence to the next corporation. The letter ended with, It now looks set that you must learn the hard way. It is a real problem for all of us that other unscrupulous people may also learn our methods through publicity now imminent. Happy New Year. The letter demanded that the first instalment of £100,000 be paid by November 1st. It was decided that instead of depositing the full ransom, on October 28th only £2,500 would be placed in two of the four accounts the blackmailer listed. It was hoped this might coax out the person or persons responsible, so police could catch them in the act when withdrawing the funds. Withdrawals were made from the fraudulent accounts at cash points scattered around the country, one day in Blackpool, another in Paul. A further letter to Pedigree demanded that the ransom be increased to £150,000 
and if they failed to comply, contaminated dog food would be planted around Britain. To prove it wasn't just a threat, the first can of poisoned dog food appeared. The Pedigree Pet Foods Company was informed of its location, in a supermarket in Basildon, Essex. Thankfully, police got to it before it was purchased and fed to a pet. Inside the can, they found Dymo tape with a printed message that read, Romeo and Juliet. Police knew if dog owners got wind of the scare, it could cause more problems. But thankfully, so far, no animals had been hurt. Officers sat in an unmarked police car outside one of the addresses linked to the fraudulent accounts. But nothing. Money continued to be withdrawn every day from cash points around the country and the police were no closer to finding out who the culprit or culprits were. Operation Roach was launched to track down those responsible. By the start of 1989, the number of officers working on the case increased dramatically after Detective Chief Superintendent Fleming sought to spread the net wider and the renamed investigation Operation Stab was granted further resources from Scotland Yard. Several cans of poisoned dog food had been put on the shelves of shops and supermarkets, though once again the person or persons responsible had directed the police to their location before any damage could be done. Officers were brought in to undertake round-the-clock surveillance, watching numerous cash points every night. But much to their dismay, the withdrawals would soon stop altogether, and the blackmailer changed their tactics after several anonymous telephone calls were made. The caller informed the police more cans of spiked dog food had been planted up and down the country, in Royston, Cambridge, Luton and Birmingham. The contaminated tins were located by authorities, and again they were retrieved before any animals had been fed with the lace products. But things were about to get a whole lot worse. A police station in Leicester received a disturbing parcel on March 20th. The box contained a small jar of baby food with an accompanying letter. It read, It is now clear there will be no payment until somebody suffers. This jar has been contaminated with poison. One spoonful to a three-month-old baby will render it in need of urgent medical attention. When Heinz pay up, that will be the end of demands for all time. We will look for your entry, from Sandra to Bob, in the usual column on March 27th. If there is no entry indicating the accounts are each to be credited with £100,000, then we will begin. In an attempt to gather their first clue as to who the culprit might be, detectives arranged for any bank cards linked to the fraudulent accounts be retained by ATMs the next time one of them was used. On March 28th, one was fed into the machine and swallowed, but frustratingly, no fingerprints were recovered. In an angry response the blackmailer sent to the Charles Street police station in Leicester, they wrote, You have forced me to put poison on the shelves. On April 7, 1989, an unsuspecting consumer purchased a jar of baby food from her local Safeway supermarket in Rayleigh, Essex. She had bought it to feed newborn puppies. She scooped the first spoonful from the jar, and as she did, a glob of the food dropped on her hand. It started to feel hot, then burn. The puppies narrowly missed digesting food laced with caustic soda, a chemical often found in cleaning products. Their owner suffered a chemical burn from the food, which was later tested and found to be deadly enough to kill a person 27 times over. 
more Dymo tape was discovered in the jar, and it read, Poison three more Heinz products in the store. After more cans of poisoned food were found, Heinz would receive a two-page printed letter. The portion read, We are about to return with a vengeance. Next time it will be potassium cyanide in your tamper-proof jars. Other Heinz products in tins will also be contaminated. If we are to be prosecuted for murder, we might as well deserve it, but we are confident we will never get caught. It threatened regular media contact to destroy the Heinz brand and went on to read, If you pass this letter on to the police, they will not allow payment. The only way to prevent this is to pay us. Instructions were provided on how to deposit the money. Open eight accounts at eight different building societies in the names given below. Register at eight different accommodation addresses whose telephone numbers are supplied. Then have two account cash dispenser cards and PIN numbers sent to the accommodation addresses where you will arrange to have the mail collected. On April 10th in Oxford, a nine-month-old baby, Victoria Kapok, was being spoon-fed a peach-flavoured yoghurt by her mother Helen. The pail of the yoghurt around the child's mouth suddenly turned crimson. Helen found her baby had a small piece of a razor blade in her mouth. In the glass jar of the Heinz yoghurt, there were several more slivers of metal and a typed note that read, Poison in Heinz beans and soup. Seven months into the investigation, and there have been two confirmed instances of the public being harmed by the blackmailer. At the time, it was fast becoming one of the most significant police inquiries in British history. Despite a significant media blackout, to curb hysteria and avoid any potential copycat extortion attempts, the public were now aware of the scandal, as headlines like Baby Food Murder Warning were emblazoned across the front pages of most major newspapers. It's now clear that someone is tampering with baby food that reaches stores across the country. Glass has been found in yoghurts and other baby meals. At Safeways in London, they're checking the seals on all their jars after nationwide reports of contamination of Heinz and Cowandgate products. More cases of contamination were reported nationwide. The government issued a common statement on developments. Home Office Minister John Patton was asked who could be behind the extortion. Someone or some people who are very evil, very demented and determined to try to cause maximum distress by preying on the fears of parents for the most vulnerable people in our society, children. And we're not going to give in to consumer blackmail and consumer terrorism in this country. After details were released in the press, there was panic. Five babies were admitted to hospital with injuries thought to be caused by the contaminated produce from both Heinz and Cowangate baby products. On April 28th, Matthew Cookson, just 14 months old, was hospitalised in Manchester after he swallowed a piece of glass that was concealed in a jar of strawberry yoghurt. The baby was fed three spoonfuls before his mother Paula saw the glass. She screamed and called for the baby's father to take them to Boothby Hall Children's Hospital where doctors feared the toddler would require surgery to remove a shard from his stomach. In another incident, an eight-month-old baby boy, Ian Reynolds, received injuries to his mouth when he consumed finely ground glass in a Cowangate baby dinner in Newcastle-upon-Tyne. Thankfully, Ian was treated in hospital with only superficial injuries. His mother Norma told the press, I shudder to think what the consequences might have been. How could anybody do this to a little baby? After the news reached the general public, calls came flooding into police. 
some worried parents, and others reporting sabotage products. Contaminants reportedly ranged from razor blades to glass, caustic soda, and drawing pins. The latter item was found not to be the work of the blackmailer, but a copycat. Also, most of the 250 calls received in the incident room claiming the food they purchased had been tampered with turned out to be unrelated to the case, with a large percentage still being forensically tested. A man was arrested in Orpingdon, Kent for placing drawing pins in the food he was about to feed his children, claiming it was the work of the Heinz blackmailer. The 24-year-old was arrested and later released on bail. The police were inundated. Alerts were being flagged up all over the country. Blackpool, a report of a broken needle in a Cowangate chocolate pudding that was almost fed to a four-month-old. The object was discovered before it was given to the infant. Luton, two instances, in which fuse wire was found called in a tin of Heinz spaghetti hoops and a shard of glass in a jar of Heinz baby food. Broxburn, a piece of glass in a jar of Heinz chicken risotto, and Bedford, glass shards in a jar of cow and gate lamb dinner. A mother who reported shards of glass in some baby food she purchased spoke to the press. Because it's a child, it's a child's life that was put at risk. Mine was lucky. The next one might not be. I don't want to see someone's child get killed. The more people that know about this now, everybody needs to know it. Everybody needs to know the dangers. Stand up and shout about it. Don't let them get away with it. They should clear up all the shelves of everything until this is over and done with. Check the factory from top to bottom because the glass is coming from somewhere. They're risking other children's lives. A second mother believed Heinz were too slow to act. What should have been done with the very first one is that all of the baby food, all of Heinz baby food, should have been withdrawn from sale until they could be 101% sure that they tracked down how, how it happened in the first place. I think leaving any Heinz baby products still on the shelves when, when they couldn't guarantee that they knew how the glass got in there in the first place, I think was a, a very bad mistake. Countless incidences were reported dotted around England, Scotland and Ireland, although almost all were excluded from the Operation Stab investigation. A Heinz spokesman said, Every report of contaminated food is fully investigated by the police. So far they have referred five cases to us, two of which are the subject of their current blackmail investigation. Since this crisis had begun... We've had everything thrown at us. It's been pandemonium. It's hardly surprising that cranks and hoaxers are getting in on the act when they are able to switch on a TV set and it's explained to them how a jar can be opened, contaminated, then resealed. The baby food's been spiked with potentially lethal materials. Splinters of glass, razor blades, pins and even caustic soda. Heinz say they share the public outrage that anyone is prepared to target a victim as precious and vulnerable as a child. They say they have strict manufacturing processes but are giving no indication as to how they think the food was sabotaged. Both companies... In spite of the panic gripping the nation, the companies involved refused to comply with the blackmailers' demands. Instead, they offered a £100,000 reward for information that led to the arrest and conviction of the person or persons responsible. With the appeal of a sizeable reward, police were flooded with tip-offs from family members and friends suspecting their loved ones or members of the public witnessing someone suspicious loitering in their local supermarket. Amongst the deluge of correspondence, someone wrote a letter to the Heinz managing director, John Hinch. The correspondence littered with spelling errors mentioned, amongst other things, they believed that the culprit was a corrupt police officer. They requested the reward money be deposited in a building society account under the name Ian and Nina Fox. Hey, 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This episode of They Walk Among Us is brought to you in association with Centair. Ever entered a seemingly perfect space only to feel like something was missing? That's where Centair comes in. With over three decades of experience, Centair leads the scent marketing industry, scenting resorts, retail outlets, event spaces and more, partnering with major brands like Westin Hotels and Snap Fitness. Chances are you've already encountered their fragrances firsthand. And now Centair is offering you a luxury fragrance experience in the comfort of your home. Visit Centair.com to explore their online store and infuse your spaces with unforgettable scents. Centair diffusers are sleek and fill your space with vivid fragrance for up to 300 hours. And the Centair app lets you schedule your fragrance and control your intensity right from your phone. What's more, all of Centair's more than 60 fragrances are phthalate-free, cruelty-free, safer families and EcoVad is certified sustainable. Differentiate your space with scent. Try luxury home fragrance trusted by the pros by going to scentair.com and using promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order. That's promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order at scentair.com. Shoppers were becoming nervous about the effectiveness of the vacuum seal button utilised on Jarlid's. Hines addressed these concerns and a spokesperson said, Our tamper seals aren't as tamper-proof as we thought they were. Our technical people are looking at it at the moment. They warned, Don't feed your babies straight from the jar or the can. Tip the contents into a dish. I think it's extremely unlikely that there's now any parent in the country who's unaware of the fact that there have been these threats to the safety of children. I think the precautions that parents can take are fairly straightforward. Make sure the seal of whatever kind of container it is that they've bought their baby foodstuffs in is unbroken. And then make sure that the foodstuff itself has no strange substances in it and doesn't smell odd and doesn't seem or taste peculiar. Those are simple and straightforward precautions I think that any parent can take. And obviously they've been taken all around the country because no child mercifully has been seriously injured. We are determined as a government not to give in to consumer terrorism and consumer blackmail, I can tell you that. In an attempt to put consumers' minds at rest and improve their declining sales, Heinz launched new packaging for their baby food that would see the contents served in jars with a tamper-proof lid, along with a strip of shrink-wrapped plastic positioned around the seal. This would make it easier to assess if the merchandise had been opened between the factory and when it was purchased. 
while Sainsbury Supermarket placed warnings on their shelves. Heinz' efforts proved too little too late, as other businesses including Boots, Tesco, Asda and the Co-op had already removed Heinz and Cowangate baby meals from their shelves. A spokesperson for the Co-op said, We realise that we are going to obviously lose money, but we feel the health of the public must come before profit. The launch of this new packaging would take a few weeks for Heinz to implement, and in the meantime the company destroyed all of their old stock. Police considered this action unnecessary, considering there were so far only two confirmed cases of food being tampered with by the blackmailer. It was suggested both shops and supermarkets keep the baby food products behind the tills as they were sure the jars had been contaminated while on the shelves, not in the factory. Consumers were advised to thoroughly inspect the jars on purchase and to decanter the contents into a bowl and sift through it with a utensil before feeding it to their children. Amidst the grip of the baby food panic, Chairman of Heinz Anthony J. O'Reilly flew to England to discuss the next steps with his staff. He told the press, The security of the food manufacturing and retail industry is in jeopardy if criminals can succeed in their attempts at extortion. A representative from Heinz also spoke to a journalist. We took immediate action and immediately all of the Heinz baby food products and all of the Cowngate baby food products were taken from the shelves. How much is that going to affect your business? Oh, that's of little concern at a time like this. The company spokesperson advised consumers on how to check their Heinz products. When they go to lift the seal, there's a click. Normally, these vacuum seal jars open very sort of quietly with almost a huff. Now, if the seal has been tampered with, there's an actual click. But safer to say would be to return the jars from where they were bought. She was finally asked, what will you say to the mothers of babies? Bring your jars back and we'll refund your money. Feed them as you would feed yourself, taking extra precautions as recommended. £19,000 was handed over to the police by Hines in the faint hope they might catch the person responsible for the extortion attempt. The funds were distributed into two building society accounts. History repeated itself as money soon began to be withdrawn from cash points across the country. The person never went into a branch to obtain larger sums of cash and made their visit to ATMs during late evenings or early mornings, avoiding potential witnesses. This method was slower but effective, and before long the withdrawals reduced the £19,000 down to 5000 The smaller withdrawals were not due to the extortionist cunning, but the banking system itself, as the maximum daily withdrawal permitted from an ATM was £250. Police had amounted a bill of half a million pounds to pay officers overtime for staking out various ATMs in the hope that the extortioner would be spotted when making a withdrawal. In October 1989, police set up a third investigation, Operation Agincourt, although this time information shared about the case was kept to a bare minimum and just four high-ranking officers were aware of the operation's next steps, along with Special Branch, an arm of the police force that works directly with British intelligence agencies in matters of national security. There was a fear among police that a leak had led to the failure of the first two extensive investigations. Only a week later, they had a breakthrough. A stocky male was spotted at a cash point located outside a Woolwich Building Society in Enfield, North London. He was making the withdrawal in a dimly lit high street at 12.45am in the early morning of October 20th. The man immediately drew suspicion from the observing officers, 
when he got out of his car and put on a motorcycle helmet before he reached the ATM. When approached, the officers told the man that he was going to be searched. He replied, No problem, guys. Asking him why he was wearing a motorcycle helmet, he said, It's to stop me getting wet. Rifling through his wallet, they found bank cards linked to a depositing account in the names of Ian and Nina Fox, and the suspect said, I know what this is about, and I'm innocent. As the handcuffs were placed on his wrists, he slumped to his knees and fainted. The man Scotland Yard arrested was a former colleague in his early 40s, Rodney Wichelow. A former policeman has been arrested by detectives investigating a £1 million blackmail attempt involving threats to contaminate Heinz baby foods. The man was caught trying to withdraw money from a building society cash dispenser in North London. The man is also being questioned about the alleged extortion of £22,000 from Pedigree Pet Foods last year. The arrest follows the largest news blackout ever in a blackmail case, Deputy Assistant Commissioner Simon Crawshaw. We were able to mount a covert surveillance exercise, which culminated at uh, quarter to one this morning in the arrest of a man attempting to draw money from a Woolwich Building Society account. The man is an ex-regional crime squad officer who retired on medical grounds in July 1988. No charges have yet been brought. Rodney Wichelow joined the police force in 1976. The man in charge of the hunt for the blackmailer was Detective Chief Superintendent Pat Fleming, who was Wichelow's former boss in the Number 9 Regional Crime Squad in Barking, East London. Wichelow was hard to capture, partly because he was well-versed in police procedures. Deputy Assistant Commissioner Simon Crawshaw said the operation was exceptionally difficult and extremely expensive. At the time of his arrest, 42-year-old Rodney Wichelow from Hornchurch in Essex worked as a security guard. He was still living at home with his widowed mother and her pet poodle in a four-bedroom suburban property. Wichelow was born in Hackney, attending South Hackney Secondary Modern. He received adequate O-level grades in school, so he stayed on to attend the sixth form at Hackney College. He left with A-levels in maths, physics and chemistry. He had various jobs, including one as an electronics engineer, until he was 29 years old, when Wichelow decided he wanted to do something that involved the public, so he joined the police. Wichelow excelled in training and quickly worked his way up the ranks. He took part in a training course, which included a case study on the food contamination blackmail of Bernard Matthews, a famous meat distributor. Though engaged at the time, in an attempt to meet more women, Wichelow utilised the back pages of bondage magazines to advertise a sadomasochistic pen pal club he was starting. But his idea did not go entirely to plan when he discovered the number of males signing up far outweighed the females joining. While Wichelow worked with Scotland Yard, he started several business ventures, one called Chevron Electronics, which he continued briefly after he left the force in 1988, though none seemed to bear much fruit. He was given a commendation for exemplary conduct from his boss, the very man that would later investigate his actions, Detective Chief Superintendent Pat Fleming. Now retired from policing, Wichelow wanted to write a book about the perfect crime and proposed his idea to former night news editor of the Daily Mail, George Webber. He had met Webber a few years before, following the break-in at Buckingham Palace when Michael Fagan entered the Queen's bedroom, waking her up before he was taken into custody. And in their conversation, Wichelow discussed how the best criminals were getting away with the crimes they committed 
and suggested several rules to follow to ensure you don't get caught. Some suggestions were not to have an accomplice, another said to keep it in the family, and another, don't be greedy. Wichelow also claimed that the only way police could identify you was through fingerprints, as a driving license or passport could be easily forged. However, George Webber was not enthusiastic about Wichelow's book suggestion. It was then, while working as a security guard, he decided to go it alone and blackmail both Pedigree and Hines. It was alleged while in custody, Rodney Wichelow told police he was fully aware of the food contamination plot because it was a topic of conversation with his ex-colleagues on the force during their evenings drinking. In addition, he had attended talks about blackmail by the Police Criminal Intelligence Division. He alleged that he was approached by someone who claimed to know the identity of the consumer terrorist, but he was cagey with police, refusing to identify the person because he was worried there was a quote, bent copper on the force. Rodney Wichelow made a brief appearance at Marleybone Magistrates Court on October 23, 1989, to face 18 charges including contamination of food, blackmail, attempting to obtain money by deception and threats to kill. He pleaded not guilty to all charges. While Wichelow was in custody awaiting trial, the food manufacturers who had been at the forefront of the contamination case requested that elements of the trial be held in private, or in camera, Latin for in a chamber, as they were concerned this might inspire copycats looking to extort more money. This request was rejected by Judge Nina Lowry. A year later... Rodney Wichelow appeared before the Old Bailey in London during October 1990. He still denied the charges against him and said that he had been implicated by two former colleagues, insisting they had set him up. He named them Chief Inspector Gavin Robertson and Detective Sergeant Steve Hobbs. Wichelow would later tell the court that he had made the withdrawal upon the request of his former colleagues to flush out the real culprit. He claimed that he was told by Hobbs and Robertson that only someone outside the force could help, as the person responsible was a, quote, high-ranking officer. The notepad, which contained evidence of their conversation, had mysteriously disappeared, and Wichelow claimed a digital organiser which also held details of their conversation no longer functioned, as the police had let the batteries run flat after he was arrested. In court, the prosecutor Julian Bevan QC branded Wichelow's claim a fantasy. It was revealed he kept ahead of the police operation by getting information from unwitting ex-colleagues at Scotland Yard. He had spoken to Chief Inspector Gavin Robertson about the case before he was captured. It was heard that Wichelow had opened four accounts at building societies using the false names Sandra and John Norman. These accounts were used by pedigree to deposit the money. Julian Bevan QC explained that Rodney Wichelow had withdrawn cash from bogus bank accounts up and down the country. His mobile telephone records corresponded to many of the locations where money was withdrawn from the ATMs. Reasonably rare for the late 1980s, he had a mobile phone which he used to contact his mother while making the trips to various cash points. Julian Bevan QC said, Wichelow's motivation was greed and a desire to commit the perfect crime. If the plan were successful, the extortion of both Pedigree and Hines would have totaled £3,750,000. It was suggested that Wichelow had been planning the scheme for years, even when he was serving in the police force. 
jurors heard about the items discovered when police searched the defendant's home. These included razor blades, a small drill, and a syringe. Wichelo had also intentionally misspelt words and incorporated grammatical errors in some of the letters he sent to the companies he was blackmailing. An example was cyanide, which he typed as S-I-O-N-I-D-E. Julian Bevan stated, It was a ruse to make the police believe he was an uneducated informant. Wichelo even tried to convince the companies he was blackmailing that he had information about the culprit to claim the £100,000 reward, asking that the funds be paid into an account under the name of Ian and Nina Fox. Victims of the tainted products gave witness testimony. Ellen Kapok from Oxford told the jury about the incident where her nine-month-old daughter was found with a piece of razor blade in her mouth after eating a few mouthfuls of a Heinz peach yoghurt. She said, I glanced down in the jar and saw what appeared to be shavings of metal. I immediately looked at Victoria and saw she was chewing something and it looked like a piece of metal on her tongue. I put my finger in her mouth and pulled out what turned out to be a piece of razor blade and there was some blood on my finger. Lynn Bradbury testified that she purchased a tin of Heinz Weight Watchers minestrone soup in a Sainsbury's supermarket in Croydon. A few weeks later in June 1989, she opened the tin and poured the contents into a saucepan to heat on the hob. As the soup began to foam and bubble, she noticed a note in the liquid. It read, This tin has been poisoned. When tests were carried out on the soup, the contaminant was revealed to be caustic soda. The amount of poison injected into the tin can was enough to kill five adults. Shards of razor blades were also found in the liquid. Rodney Wichelow's ex-fiancée took the stand and told the court her ex-partner had claimed that during his time in the police force he had infiltrated the IRA working undercover and because of the strain, this was the reason for his retirement. When questioned, the witness agreed that Wichelow was inclined to exaggerate. During her testimony, Valerie Edge said the couple had met in 1978 and she was part of Wichelow's sadomasochistic pen pal club. As the group was short on female members, he'd asked her to make up some of the letters using multiple pen names. While addressing the jury, she spoke about the trip she made with Wichelow to the north of England, and at the time described the journey as boring, but it wasn't until Wichelow's arrest that she realised the couple had gone there to put contaminated products on the shelves of supermarkets. Roktan's EQC said his client had an excellent police record and that if Wichelow were sent to prison, it would be a living hell. For his own safety, he would likely be kept alone or with inmates that are often also targeted by prisoners. These include informants, sex offenders and former police officers. After a 10-week trial and 16 hours of jury deliberations, on December 17, 1990, former detective Rodney Wichelow was found guilty of six counts of blackmail, two counts of contaminating pedigree pet foods, two counts of trying to obtain property through deception from Heinz, and one charge of making a threat to kill. He was, however, cleared on several charges, including four counts of contaminating baby food with razor blades and caustic soda, and another charge relating to injecting a tin of Heinz Weight Watcher soup with caustic soda with intent to cause grievous bodily harm. 
Rodney Wichelow was sentenced to 17 years in prison. This included 13 years each for the five blackmail charges, five years each for the two counts of contaminating tins of pedigree chum, and a five-year term for threatening the lives of Heinz Food customers. All of the sentences would run concurrently. Another four years were added to his 13-year jail term to run consecutively for trying to obtain property by deception. Judge Nina Lowry said Wichelow's plot showed he was cunning and persistent, with the act highlighting an evil side of his nature. She went on to say, Blackmail on such a scale as this inevitably affects large sections of the community, causing grave anxiety and fear, and untold economic loss from food manufacturing industries. After Rodney Wichelow was sentenced, a police spokesperson said, It is impossible to describe the feelings of the regional crime detectives when the realisation that the man they had been hunting for all that time, for the most wicked of crimes, was one of their own pals. The feeling of disbelief and betrayal was sickening for everyone. The police faced public scrutiny for not informing the public sooner of the risk linked to one of the nation's most popular baby foods. Their hesitation was supported by the then Home Secretary, who told the radio show that it, quote, simply encourages more cranks and crooks and puts more children in danger. Though Rodney Wichelow was captured and sentenced, his actions caused a marked decline in profits for both Pedigree and Heinz, with the incident estimated to have lost them over £100 million in sales. Heinz had also reportedly removed £30 million worth of stock from supermarket shelves, and staff at a factory in Wigan were concerned about their jobs due to the knock-on effect of the contamination. A senior spokesperson said, The scare will do for us what salmonella did for eggs. It will take years for mothers to forget and trust us again. After details of the food contamination were disclosed to the public, a large volume of false claims looking for a quick payout were reported to the police. As well as a father from Kent, two mothers from West Yorkshire faced a charge of giving false information, as did women in Leeds and Wakefield. Worryingly, Wichelow's actions inspired a number of imitators, hoping to extort money from other food manufacturers. In Merseyside, an unnamed family of five were poisoned with a small amount of mercury from a packet of deliberately contaminated beef burgers from a freeze-ride shop. Luckily, the family recovered from the effects. A scare was reported on the other side of the world when a copycat in Illinois planted pins in two jars of Heinz baby food. Robert Telford from Lincolnshire threatened to inject weed killer into Cadbury's cream eggs unless the confectionery company paid him £1 million. He was sentenced to 10 years in prison. Darren Owen was handed a seven-year jail term at Cardiff Crown Court in March 1991. He had threatened a manufacturer by injecting one of their products, a meat pie, with weed killer and sending it to them with a £20,000 demand. Mark Finbow was jailed for seven and a half years in September 1991 for threatening to contaminate produce at a Sainsbury's supermarket in Camden, London. Finally, Mary McNiven, a mother of three from Dublin, appeared in court for a charge of knowingly making a false report after it was suspected she planted glass particles in a jar of baby food she purchased for her children. She pleaded guilty to spiking the baby's meal after the news about the Heinz blackmailer broke in the press. Tess found that the glass matched a broken beetroot jar which officers had retrieved from McNiven's bin.
10 months after receiving his 17-year prison term, Rodney Wichelow appealed his sentence. His defence counsel argued that Wichelow's crimes were not the type of blackmail that was, quote, murder of the soul, where an individual was held to ransom. He also confirmed that Rodney Wichelow's stay in prison was indeed a living hell. The appeal judge said that Wichelow had carried out persistent and evil conduct, and they believed the sentence given was not excessive. This would be a warning to those people who might be tempted to follow in his footsteps. Before his release, Rodney Wichelow had attempted to take legal action as his police pension was cut by 75%. Home Secretary at the time, Michael Howard, described the crimes as liable to lead to serious loss of confidence in the police. Wichelow's appeal was rejected at the High Court in London. So where are we now? Rodney Wichelow was released from prison in 1998. He moved back to Essex, living with his elderly mother, and planned on setting up a computer business. At nearly 50 years old, he finally expressed remorse for his crimes and told the Sunday Mirror, I think I have atoned. I would condemn anyone who commits such crimes. It is dreadfully upsetting. I am very, very sorry. How do you apologise to a nation? Rodney Wichelow, true to his word, did set up a computer business in which he was the director and his mother was listed as company secretary. However, the firm has since dissolved. Helen Kapok, the mother who unwittingly fed her nine-month-old daughter food laced with razor blade fragments that Wichelow had planted, said of his release, He is an evil man. Anyone who can sit at home and cut up a razor blade coldly knowing that it will cut up a baby is warped. She concluded, I don't expect he has got any remorse whatsoever. He was an arrogant man who looked at me like I was a piece of dirt during the trial. Even though he is now free, I would not like to meet him. But after ten years, the anger is gone. I wouldn't be frightened of him. Thank you for listening and special thanks to our Patreon supporters. For more information, please visit theywalkamonguspodcast.com. If you would prefer to listen to our podcast a few days early without adverts, you can. Head on over to patreon.com forward slash theywalkamonguspodcast. Make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast provider. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlingbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.